this week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. As always, Westy joins me here, fresh off a night in Manchester, a memorable night in Manchester. Yeah, one that's left me with a bit of a sore head as well. I don't see how he's improving these players. When you see managers like Klopp, Tuchel, you see these players, they improve under these managers. Last night was one of the first times I've actually been in Old Trafford where where the half-time whistle was blown and you could hear like a lot of boos. So there you have it, there's our combined Liverpool and Manchester United 11s. So in goal we had... Obviously started to improve near the end of the season, scored that goal in the Champions League final. Obviously, never forget that. But it just sort of seems like he's taken a couple of steps back, hasn't he, this season? Hello and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. As always, Westy joins me here. Fresh off a night in Manchester, a memorable night in Manchester. Yeah, one that's left me with a bit of a sore head as well. Yeah, well, fair play for getting up for this podcast, mate. We appreciate it. I'm sure the divided opinion listeners appreciate it. Um, should we start with last night? Yeah, let's you, get into just it. Tell me what you what you, what did you take from the game? What was the atmosphere like? Just tell it. Tell us it all, mate. Atmosphere was was brilliant as usual um, at Old Trafford. Uh, the game, obviously, it was. Obviously, if you look at the scoreline itself and look at, even if you didn't watch it, you'll be able to tell it's a total game of two halves. I think the first half, United were pretty poor. As we've become so accustomed to seeing with United over the past year or two, sort of slow first halves and we only click into gear once we're a goal or two behind, which makes for, um, you need some sort of inquest into that why it keeps happening so much. But it seems that's our, our way of playing and approaching, which... Which is annoying, but if it's going to win us points, then it's going to have to I'm continue. I'm interested to know way. what what was the atmosphere like at two 0 down. Uh, to be honest, um, last night was one of the first times I've actually been in Old Trafford where where the halftime whistle was blown and you could hear like a lot of boos. Yeah. Which I mean, at the end of the day, like people on players on the pitch, like coaching staff, they need to be made aware of people aren't happy. I mean, two 0 down at home again after the back of getting battered at the weekend as well I mean there was always going to be loads of discomfort in the stadium but came out a totally different beast in the second half and just constant pressure really good build up play just never gave Atalanta a chance to really capitalise on their their lead I mean De Gea made a great double save I think which could have made it 3-1 it was Zapata Uh, that Zapata yeah it was Uh, worrying how easily he turned Lindelof Uh, it got away with one there Lindelof yeah um but yeah, the second half it just all clicked into gear. But like you say, you can't. It's not one of those ones where you can really get carried away with because there's only so long that you can keep winning, and Oli can keep getting away with this by Ronaldo bailing him out. We t- spoke about it after the Villarreal game when Ronaldo scored in the last minute, and as, as great as it feels and being in the stadium in, in there celebrating with everyone, it's such a like, euphoric moment. 
you can't get away with against better teams on like Liverpool on Sunday. I think Paul Scholes said it last night. Jurgen Klopp watching that first half performance from United, he'd be rubbing his hands together because if that's against Liverpool, it could be four or five nil before you know it, and they can't perform again. Like it showed against Leicester as well. Gary Neville said once United start playing teams that have got a bit more quality and have quality players in there then that's when they'll start to get really exposed and they'll lose games they can't just keep can't keep scraping your way through matches picking up the odd last minute goal because as great as it feels it's not sustainable yeah um we'll get we'll come back to Liverpool and preview in the weekend's game because obviously that is a huge game uh, for Ali and United as a whole but last night I just felt kind of like so many results, it symbolised the Oli reign, really. Yeah. He starts slow, and then it's, it is always clear that the players want to play for Oli. And yeah. obviously, we see that with a lot of managers where they're almost forced out by their players. They lose the dressing room, but it's it's clear that the the players do like Oli. And yeah, Oli's a nice bloke and all this, but does it really, does it really matter? And I don't know. It's really hard to know what angle to take with it because I know as a United fan for you and like any United fan you want to see Manchester United win and I'm sorry but if you're a fan that's wanting your team to lose to see the back of a manager then I personally don't agree with that at all I think you go into every game and you want to win and for you it must be a bit of a it's a weird one because obviously you come here you've got your your podcast head on and you're thinking you've got to talk about the the overall feeling of United and the way the club's going but it's difficult because you've ju- just witnessed the classic Champions League night last night and you can't remove that feeling of United winning but it's impossible not to look ahead and look backwards as well yeah um I'm just interested to know what you thought was going wrong for United I think for me it was pretty clear uh I don't I don't understand how you get away with it on a, I mean, again, I'm bringing it back to our footballing days and Sunday league days. But if you're not tracking back as a winger, you know about it. You see it. I saw it at Leicester at the weekend, and we'll talk about the Leicester game. Greenwood uh, uh, against Leicester, Greenwood and Sancho, neither working back. Then you've got last night, Greenwood and, and Rashford. And I understand that neither of them are, are defensive players, they're attacking minded players. But how are they getting away with not tracking back? You the gap between your defence and attack is just ridiculous. And it means you have to play McTominay and Fred because they make up for those players not running back. And McTominay and Fred just sit in front of that back four, don't they? Yeah. For you, what was what did you take away from that first half? What are the re- recurring things that you're seeing? What do you do you think needs to change? Um the re- the recurring theme that I'm seeing is just it seems every week well, you go into as a United fan now. You go and you would have thought, obviously, Maguire and Varane have not played that much together because they've both been injured. And once they start building a relationship when they're both fully fit, we might see an improvement in United's defence. Well, you'd certainly hope so with someone of Varane's stature coming in. And I think he's doing all right since he's joined. But he's uh, they've not exactly struck a a really menacing partnership in defence yet, have they? That looks really solid. Um, and yeah, the, the thing I see every week is just teams just cut through us no matter who what team it is whether you could be playing Brighton Southampton Leicester Liverpool Man City or anyone in the Champions League we just give away so many chances and we only have people like David De Gea to thank for 
because if it wasn't for David Haye in his form this season we could be a lot, lot worse off than we are at the moment because we just gift teams chances. People just cut through us like there's not like there's no tomorrow, honestly. It's just it's mm. so frustrating to watch. Because you know the players, them defenders have got the quality to deal with these players. It's a good good you look on paper and United have probably got one of the best defences in Europe, but it just well, doesn't you've got the f- like you see with Lindelof, I know he gets absolutely slated and rightfully so sometimes. But the guy's the Sweden captain. Yeah, he's an international that you signed for a decent transfer fee. I can't remember the exact number, but these are top players, and it's just with United. There's no question. Like I know that Ronaldo can score a last-minute winner. I know that Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandez can provide moments of brilliance and create these amazing chances. I know that Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood are going to find space and get in, be- in behind and get shot, shot shooting opportunities and score goals. We know this is going to happen. doesn't matter who's in charge. Me and you could be there on the touchline and those things would happen. I don't see what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is really bringing out of these players. I don't see how he's improving these players. When you see managers like Klopp, Tuchel, you see these players, they improve under these managers. They develop other sides to their game. With, yeah. like in terms of that attacking, attacking four now. So you've obviously got the attacking midfield. You've got obviously Bruno's set, Ronaldo's set. Who are you wanting to see when it comes to the weekend against Liverpool? Who do you want to see either side of Bruno and, and Ronaldo? Because you've had a chance to see each players now. Obviously, Rashford's looking sharp. Yeah, I'm hearing that Rashford is a doubt now for Liverpool. Because he, he went off with a dead leg last night. Uh, yeah. Obviously, providing he's fit, considering he scored two in his first two games back in how many months? I mean, he's got to be a starter. And I think he could really cause someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold problems down that right-hand side. Um, seen it before, haven't we? Yeah, we have, yeah. And he's, um, on the right, obviously, Greenwood's in good form. But... Um, Think maybe, Do you think he lacks creativity though? Do you think Rashford and Greenwood, they're just too similar almost on those either side? They're both of them are going for goals really. Yeah. They're, their target is not assist. Possibly, yeah. That's where Sancho should be starting. Yeah, I was about to say, I'd like to see maybe Sancho come in. Obviously, he needs to pick his confidence up. It's not been the best of starts for him at United. But um, yeah, I feel like he could, Sancho's the sort of player that could cause Robertson and Trent problems. You know, you need them players that are going to be direct and. With Greenwood, you often see it's more of he loves to cut inside and play off players and then make runs in behind. But I think with Sancho could really cause problems because everyone knows he's got great delivery into the box of sort of England against Andorra, albeit poor opposition. But um, yeah, I'd like to see him get a chance and see what he can do because I think what we showed last night, United, is that we should be crossing the ball into the box so much more because some like half our goals this season have come from. People like look at Luke Shaw's delivery and stuff. Wambasaka's improving. You've got Greenwood that can put a great ball in Sancho, and we just don't utilise it enough. And you see last night with the Ronaldo's header. I mean, if we start doing that more often, we'll probably score two, twice as many goals. But that, you've got Greenwood and Rashford there, and the first thing on their mind is not crossing the ball. No. It's not creating chances. It's how can I score a goal? And you can't take that away from them. And that's not a bad thing. That's just the kind of players they are. Yeah. Um. 
I just didn't think Atalanta were very good as well. Like, I really didn't think they were that great. I expected and a lot more. The, you were the better team. You deserved to win. And let's be honest, their two goals in the first half were pretty much out of nothing. Obviously, it was down to poor defending, but it was still out of nothing. Like You shouldn't have conceded those goals. And that's why it's worrying. They weren't a particularly testing team. And by the end of the game, I think they had Darun at the back, who's like a midfielder. There was, and then two other players that I think were both, one of them was, I think, 21, and I think the other may be a bit more experienced, but still, Demiral went off, didn't he? And I was quite impressed by Demiral. Seems like a bit of a hot-headed player, another kind of hot-headed Turkish player. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to see him come to Leicester, to be fair. That tackle he did, that, that last-ditch challenge on Rashford. Yeah, and he, he sort of celebrates every tackle like a goal, doesn't he? Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's good to see, to be honest. I mean... That's what you want from a defender, isn't it? You want a defender that's passionate about doing their job first and foremost. Um, yeah, yeah, I was impressed with him. Obviously, he got his goal as well. Uh, but like you said, I didn't think Atalanta really offered too much. I mean, I was sat in the end where all the goals were in last night, fortunately. And um, we just kept... No one could believe it. When the first goal went in, thought maybe yeah, maybe it's just a bit of a, a hiccup. Same old United, we'll come back from this. But then like the second goal goes in, everyone was just sat there thinking like, where are these goals coming from? They're literally, there's no passage of play for Atalanta through. No chances being created. And all of a sudden, it's 2 0 down. We're, we're sat there 2 0 down at half time. Everyone's there, like, what is going on? You saw, though, like with Atalanta, and you see it with teams against United, where obviously they're prepared for United to come at them and they're, they're nervous. You've got the 76,000 fans in front of you. They look a bit uh, tenuous on the ball. And they're almost expecting to have to play sideways and go backwards. But as they kind of progressed and got more confident, and if they had played with more confidence yesterday, I think they could have got... And you see that a lot of times against United. When teams start to play with some confidence, they can break that press. And you see with Rashford, Greenwood, Ronaldo especially, and obviously Bruno, they were getting bypassed so easily. And you saw it. They were almost, you can see it in the players, they kind of grow in confidence, the opposition, because they realise that United are not too hard to play out of. No. The, yeah, it is worrying. Yeah. It's concerning. I think that's the main problem. I think United have got this sort of, everyone else has got an identity. When you watch sort of Liverpool, they all press in groups and they press 100% fully. They all know their jobs or what they're doing. Chelsea is similar. City, City aren't really as... More, they're not really a high press sort of team, are they? But their sort of their style has always been just we'll wait till we get the ball and then we'll do the damage when we've got the ball. We don't need to press you yeah. because we'll suck it, we'll suck you in and then get the ball off you. But with United, it just seems as there's no point in pressing if 50% of the players aren't doing it as well. You can't have Bruno, Fern- exactly. Bruno Fernandez chasing the ball down down the whole back line. He's going to tire himself out and then the other three are just stood there and then the ball gets bypassed into midfield. It's just the same old story. You've got to either all do it or don't do it at all. But exactly, and but that's what City do so well, and that's what Pep's Barcelona team did so well. They hunt in packs. Yeah. And as soon as they lose that ball, they're all they're all together defending as a unit, and you have to defend as a team. Yeah. Just comparing now, so obviously we'll go back now and talk about Leicester United at the weekend. I was lucky enough to be there. And what a game it was. I actually had a spare ticket and Westy was possibly going to come with me in the home end. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't now because it would have been an awkward no, I'm one. I'm so happy I didn't. <laughs> that would have been a really, really bad one, that. Um, but yeah, what a game. And you look terrible. 
I mean, I, 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 part of me yesterday wanted United to capitulate again just for this podcast. Because it, now, it, it, like I said, you don't really know what angle to take it at now. Because you were so bad at the weekend. Like, you were so bad. And I'm not even saying it to wind you up. Like, you were, you were really, really poor. And especially in that second half, we just ran you rampant. And... Yeah, Euro Tielemans dominated. Bubakari Samari looks like an absolute Rolls Royce of a player. Um, but I just want to un- like understand kind of. So now you've obviously you lost that game at the weekend, and I hope you won't mind me saying, but you were saying I don't know how this, how Oli can be the man. I don't know how we can come back from this. I don't, I don't see where we're going. How are you feeling now after last night's result? Are you? Does it change much? Are we looking at Liverpool? Um. Yeah, in my eyes, I'm looking very nervously to the weekend. Anything could happen. I mean, you ask me how I'm feeling now. Obviously, after last night being there, you feel on top of the world. But I'll reiterate what I said earlier. I mean, it is papering over the cracks. There's no doubt about it. I mean, last-minute goals, they're they're amazing. I mean, there's nothing better in football than seeing your team score a last-minute winner, being in that ground. But... But you don't want it every day. Every not, week, not, no, you? not every week. We want, as a United fan, I want to see games where we find ourselves freeing up at half time and we're dominating games and we see games out. But it's just never straightforward for United, and it never has been really. Even under like the likes of Fergie, we always make, did it difficult, didn't we? Always made it tough for ourselves. But um, and you'd have periods as well where you'd kind of win like games, but for like a long, prolonged period where you'd win like one nil, two nil, or like two one kind of games. Yeah. It wasn't always free scoring. Was no, it? of course not. But um, yeah, we've just got to see how it goes. You know, and the next four or five games are massive for us. It's going to be such a big test. Um, we just got to see how we get through them. To be honest, I mean, last night was great, but well, it wasn't great. It was great in terms of the result, and it's a massive three points in the uh, terms of the group because now we sit top of the group. It's in our hands now again after the first loss against Young Boys, but. It's a different matter on Sunday. I mean, Liverpool in town. We've just got to see how we, how we come off this and respond to them because they're going to be coming full throttle to Old Trafford expecting to pick up the three points, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I do think, though, looking at Liverpool, and obviously going forward, Liverpool are someone to, to fear, quite frankly. Looking at Mo Salah, uh, Firmino obviously got a hat-trick at the weekend. Mane's back scoring as well. Like, you can't not be worried about that. But if you start to look further back in that Liverpool team, you look at their midfield, you look in defence, and there's certainly optimism there for United fans and for United in general. And if Oli does set up how he does, and possibly if he... if he like These kind of games is often where you see United and Oli's kind of game plan most clearly, I think. And it, it seems to work the best. You, we often see it where you play against these teams that you, we'd expect you to go after and and press and dominate the ball. But you often don't do that against the lower teams. But in these kind of games, I think when you can sit back in and sustain some pressure and then catch them on the counter-attack, because Liverpool have really not been impressive defensively. Matip... I, Against Atletico, and we'll get on to. Well, we can talk about Liverpool now. Did you watch the game against Atletico? Uh, no, I was working, but I managed to catch quite a lot of the highlights, and yeah, I've got to go well, listen to it on the radio as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Liverpool did just look leggy at the back, and Matip. I just, I don't get the. Well, I know there's not much fuss about Matip, but I don't really 
I don't rate him at all. I thought he looked just tired. I don't know what's going on with with Kanate. Is he injured? Why is he not playing? Um, I'm not sure. I think maybe Klopp's just sort of moulding him into a side slowly. I mean, he's still yeah. young. I think he's 22. So um, we'll see how he develops. Yeah, yeah. But he looks a good player. I, I, yeah. I'm sure he'd be hoping to get more minutes. Because like you say, Liverpool is, is amazing and as great as they are going forward. United definitely can exploit them defensively. And you, it'd be mad to think right. that, wouldn't it, a couple of years ago or even last year because we always, everyone, all of Liverpool's success was built on a rock-solid back four where no one could get mm. by them and then, their, then their offensive play just topped it off for them. But now it is an imbalance and we are seeing, aren't we, this season, there is not one team in the Premier League that is faultless. And there right. has been in the last few years. Man City have been, Liverpool have been. And now it's, it's so wide open, the title race, because everyone has their faults, some more than others. It's just <laughs> difficult. It's difficult for Klopp because his depth is so poor. And I don't know if there is a team in the league that has such a drop-off from their first team players to the players that are coming off, off the bench. When you look at... So, obviously, he tried against Atletico. He started with the midfield three of Henderson sitting in, Naby Keita and Milner in front. And then obviously it wasn't going to plan. And Naby Keita, well, they obviously went 2 0 up and then it, they got they clawed it back to 2 all Atletico. And Naby Keita, who scored a really nice goal, was at sort of at fault really for both of Atletico's goals. So then obviously he had to bring Fabinho on at half time. And obviously Klopp would have been going into that game thinking, I want to give Fabinho as much of a rest as possible. I mean, if Fabinho was fit, he would have played against Atletico, I'm, I've got no doubt. I really think that, I know we see it all the time and I don't know if it is a good thing for United because it might just de- delay the inevitable. Saying that from an, an outsider's perspective, obviously when you go into that game as a fan, you want United to win. But from an outsider's perspective, I think I really can see you doing a job over Liverpool at the weekend. I'm not saying it's going to happen. or I'm saying pretty 50-50 at the minute. You just know what United are like against these kind of teams when they are allowed to sit in. And you can't discount what Ronaldo's got. If you can get balls into the box, I think Liverpool, you can test them at the back. We've seen, obviously, Rashford. Yeah, you're saying he might be a doubt, but if you can get Rashford in the team up against Trent Alexander-Arnold, we've seen him expose Trent before at Old Trafford. And I, I can't see any reason why it couldn't happen again. You've got two teams going into this game, two, two high, high-level teams, or should be operating at a high level with with issues in midfield and games as we see a one loss in midfield. How do you see United setting up? Do you reckon it's going to be McTominay and Fred? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, all of our big results over the the so-called big six teams um, over the last two or three years have all come with McTominay and Fred. And I think I said it to you earlier in the week, we all know McTominay and Fred aren't the level required together that United need. There's no no denying that but there's also no denying that they're better than what they had against Leicester you know you, that Leicester game everyone calls out for oh we don't McFred don't need them Just bring Matic in put, play Pogba as a double pivot but I think we we now know why Oli plays McTominay and Fred because United all their big results and all their wins come with McTominay and Fred in the team and United just and- can't set up against better teams without them but like I said as well, it just allows you to play those players that aren't going to work back. Yeah. And I'm not saying the it's just, you shouldn't be, it's Manchester United, you shouldn't have to be taking these shortcuts and 
making do with with players. The the embarrassment of riches that you've got at that club. To think that you're just kind of playing players for the sake of it and like it's crazy. How Paul Pogba realistically, we're at a point now where Paul Pogba, your most effective team, Paul Pogba probably doesn't make it, does he? Um, not at the moment. I mean, he started off the season brilliantly, but he, he, like you say, just plays so well in a system, doesn't he? And he wants to play off that left-hand side, almost on the left wing. And with Sancho and Rashford back now, I mean, it's unlikely that he's going to get that spot. And it's so good to have... Would you prefer Pogba to be playing there than, than any of your other wingers? No, no, I wouldn't. But I mean, last season, when we had a couple of injuries and stuff, it, it suited as well. And all the big games when we beat City and stuff, that that's the sort of role he played. But... You just—it's mad to think, isn't it? You just why can't we play Paul Pogba in his in his position that should, that is central midfield? Why can't we get him working? I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether he starts at the weekend. My, I suspect he will because he's a big game player and he, they're the sort of games he relishes. Paul Pogba, doesn't he? But, um, yeah. And I think Pogba could really cause some damage to Liverpool's midfield as well. I mean, the quality he's got is he's, he's better than most of well, probably say all of Liverpool's midfielders definitely. The ones that they've got fit at the moment, anyway. Well, yeah, that's the thing. The talent is there's not up for debate. He's one of the most talented players on the planet, not even just midfield players. But going back to Leicester as well, it really was won and lost in that midfield, and it was just another example of it. Yuri Tielemans was up against Pogba, absolutely just ruined him, just played him off the park. Yuri Tielemans, honestly. I'm getting to a point now, but before with Tielemans, I didn't know if he had that next level to go to a big team. I didn't know if he had it in him. Just with his with his physicality, I just obviously we talk about systems. I didn't know if he was a system kind of player. Yeah. Looking at Yuri Tielemans now, honestly, he's he's getting quite scary how good he is. Like it really is. And I I I can see him leaving. Like I really can. Yeah. I, he, I know he's happy at Leicester and I know he'll stay committed until the very end. But if you're a United or a team, I don't think United would be the right team for him. But honestly, he looks, he's brought a whole new level to his game. Like his pressing now is outstanding. Yeah, He does it from the first whistle to the end as well. He used to get dragged at 70 minutes because he was too tired. He's got a turn of pace now. He's just, he's he's back and forth as well. But yeah, also obviously Rogers played Samari in, in the defensive midfield role just pretty much man-marking Bruno Fernandes. And before the game, I, I actually wanted to see Hamza playing because I thought, I, I, I didn't know, I honestly didn't know Samari had the discipline in him just yet. Obviously, it can come, but I I'm, I wasn't ready to see a performance like that from Samari. Yeah. And we saw it last night in the in the Europa League as well. He's going to be outstanding, Samari, honestly. And he offers something else that and Diddy doesn't. He's unbelievable on the ball. And his passing range is top draw as well. I'm not taking anything away from Ndidi. He's Ndidi's an absolute workhorse and defensively he's incredible and his recovery runs and his his slide tackles and just play just defending on the last last line of defence before the defence, so to speak. Ndidi's world class. But honestly, Samari, the future is bright. Like even if we lose Ndidi, I'm not I'm not too worried. And I don't even know if that's Samari's best position. I'm not sure. I don't really know exactly. I think maybe Samari's better in a double pivot, maybe. Where did he play his best football at Lille? I'm not 100% sure, but I think the highlights that I've seen, I think, was kind of in either in the the, the left or the right of a midfield three or 
uh, or in a double pivot, I think. I'm not, I didn't, I, when we signed him, I didn't think we were signing a, a holding midfielder, so to speak. But he looks like he can do that role. But staying with, obviously, Leicester and United, then we also had, um, oh yeah, so obviously Samari got the better of Bruno in every aspect of the pitch. And then um, Matic and Madison had a decent battle. I thought the Pogba and Matic they just don't seem to complement each other now. Pogba playing in a deeper role is just the most disappointing thing ever. If you're a football fan, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go watch Paul Pogba. And then you see him playing in that double pivot alongside a, a Matic or someone like that. It's just disappointing because you know already, before the before even the, kick, the game's kicked off, you know he's going to be absent for most of the game. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a waste of talent, isn't it? Yeah. Um so obviously yeah we'll we'll preview the the big game this weekend. Uh we've obviously seen Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher did a combined Liverpool 11, Liverpool and United 11. Do you want to do a quick now just do a quick combined 11? What formation would you go for? Um 4-2-3-1 is it easy? Yeah, 4-2-3-1 I think that's where it would suit both both sets of players and best. Yeah. What are you saying in goal? De Gea's obviously been in outstanding form recently. Yeah, it's a tough Allison, one. I always think he's he's prone to a mistake, Alisson. Yeah, I but think as is De Gea. Yeah, I think if I think if we're going off probably just this season, I think De Gea's probably been probably been the best keeper in the league. Maybe Edouard Mendy, but um, I don't know. I probably I think over the over the course of the last three or four years, I think you've probably just got to put Alisson in there, haven't you? Yeah, I mean he's just he's just he's, off what yeah. he's won recently. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's earned his place in our team. Yeah, obviously then we're gonna have in centre back Van Dyke will be there. I don't yeah. think there's any argument about that. I'd be interested to know though, who would you have alongside Van Dyke? Would it be Varane? Would it be Maguire? Or Matip? <laughs> um, it's a tough one, you know, because I do love Maguire. You know I do, and I think he's a great player. But I just think if you're gonna combine a team. Put these two teams together and put together the best players. And if you just look at Varane's CV, I think, I think him and Van Dijk would make a great partnership. Then about you, I think they'd be outrageous. Don't want to leave Harry out, but I think you've got to put Varane in there. Just he, he walks into most teams just because of what his, his name anyway. I just think those two would complement each other so well. Just kind of like what we expected to see, and possibly what we we will see with Maguire and Varane. I think those two they they uh, complement each other well as well. Yeah, um, I think Maguire runs a lot more mobile. Yeah, yeah. I think Varane and Van Dijk sort of. No, sorry, not Varane and Van Dijk. Van Dijk and Maguire. So sorry, um, they're a little bit similar, aren't they? Not saying Maguire's yeah. as good as Van Dijk for anyone kicks off. <laughs> Just saying they are, they're built they're built the same. They're sort of similar heights, similar sort of abilities, and yeah, yeah I think Varane and Van Dijk would yeah would complement each other really well. Now onto the fullbacks. Andy Robertson and Luke Shaw is a really, really tough one. Um, yeah. For me, personally, I'm going off consistency. And I know Liverpool had a poor uh, season last season, but I was actually impressed with Andy Robertson. Just how he he, he was there or thereabouts. He, he, his level didn't drop. Um, for, for me, it would be Andy Robertson. But um. I can't disregard... I think maybe Luke Shaw was at a higher level last season than Andy Roberts. Oh, I don't know. That's a tough one, though. Yeah. Really For me, I one. personally think Luke Shaw. I just think Luke Shaw's the best left-back in the league, personally. That's not me Do being biased. United. you think he's fan. dropped off a little bit this season? Um, you're possibly right, yeah, in some games. Um, but last night, 
he's so dangerous down that left hand side I mean the overlapping runs and he's so quick as well and I'm not saying not taking anything away from Robertson Robertson's one of the best left backs in the world as well and either of them could be in that squad and I wouldn't have any complaints but um, just for me I just prefer Shaw as a player I think he's I don't know just I think, he's just I think what owes to what owes to Shaw and does kind of give him the upper hand against a player like Robertson is he, he's just so unconventional that his build he's yeah. incre- his agility and his pace he's got no right to have those no. the those two attributes to the level he does if you look at his physique and because it makes him just like I said just unconventional unique he's a unique threat and how do you deal with Luke Shaw he's going to shove you you're not going to have the strength to shove him off the ball he's going to have the pace to beat you he's also got the football and brain to beat you he's got the balls into the box I'm happy to go with Luke Shaw yeah um, I think what just gives him the edge on um, Robertson yeah, yeah like you say his build and his pace I mean you probably there's not probably much in, in between them is there in terms of pace but no. he's so strong as well like he's, he's not many not many wingers out there that's going to get the better of him in sort of a physical battle and in a foot race no. so uh, but be a good battle this weekend obviously him and Salah yeah we've, we've seen Shaw do a job on Salah a couple of times before but Salah's obviously performing at a completely different level now isn't he it's just out of this world yeah 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 he is uh, then on to right back mm, it's a tough one because you've you've got two defenders that really you've, you've probably got defensively one on one defensively you've, you've potentially got the best right back in the Premier League possibly in world football. And then you've got, arguably for me, Trent Alexander-Arnold as a, as a full-back goes. And just as a player in general, I don't, I've not seen many players that are more technically gifted going forward, balls into the box, just that right foot. It's a tough one. But like, it really depends what, what do you want. I, I like, if you think about it as a team, you've obviously got Shaw, Van Dijk and Varane. You'd like to think they could cover for for Alexander Arnold if he yeah. wants to go forward. Yeah, definitely. I've yeah, I love Wambasaka, and but I think yeah, you've got to put Trent in there, haven't you? I mean, at his age, what he's won already, he's proved himself on the biggest stage. And I think if you're gonna look for a player that's, if you're gonna weigh up the pros and cons of both, I think yeah, I I mean Trent's always been questioned defensively. But he's definitely improved on that. I mean, and you're not part of a Liverpool defence that concedes so little goals if you're not a good defender. Um, Wan-Bissaka, going forward, we all know he's not the most capable. But again, he's improving and he's looking like he's putting a lot of hard work on the training ground into that part of his game. But I think if you're going to mould one into who would you, who's the best well-rounded, I think it's definitely got to be Trent. I mean, I just don't think you can look past his uh, his capabilities and his ability going forward and what he can bring to the team. It's just having another attacker on the pitch, isn't it? Yeah. He, he's just one of those players, that, yeah, like you said, like he's just, the talent is so high Yeah, that and, you can't really ignore it. Like and, He's got the ability to just change a game. And I think if if we're, say, say we're presuming we're going to put Ronaldo in there, I mean, can you imagine Trent yeah. with his ability of crossing, um, just take, putting balls into the box on, on a pinpoint for his head? I hadn't even thought of it like that. That would be outrageous. I know, mate. Unbelievable. Um, so we we'll go on to now a little double pivot action. Yeah, double pivot. Obviously, Fabinho is going to be in there. Yeah, Fabinho. For me, I think it would be Fabinho and Henderson. Oof, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, no. 
Fabinho and Pogba. Yeah, I think. For, yeah, definitely. I think Fabinho is like you say. You, people go on about how United are crying out for a, a world class defensive midfielder to allow Pogba to play, and Fabinho is definitely world class. He's one of the best in the business at what he does. So you'd you'd have hoped he he could be more than more than capable enough to let Pogba go and do his stuff, wouldn't you? Do you think that maybe it would suit a four three three more? Because I don't I don't know I don't know about you, but. I like Fabinho seems to be best in that number six, doesn't he? In front, just on his own, in front yeah. of the of the back four. This is why there's possibly an argument. Like, like there is an argument to be had for Jordan Henderson being in the team. Like there really is. If you look at what he's achieved on big nights, big games, and you look at just what his all-round game brings to a team, and if we're talking about a team here that's full of outstanding talent, going yeah. forward and we've obviously picked Alexander-Arnold maybe a player like Jordan Henderson would offer more than a Paul Pogba because the team isn't going to be lacking in talent no and yeah it's difficult you know I mean? one, it, it? it's it's hard one are we building like a combined yeah. hypothetical 11 or are we thinking of literally if it was a team playing tomorrow yeah of what course. would be the best balance but you know it's just it just gives you the perfect opportunity to see how Pogba would fare with someone a lot better alongside him so and I think you, yeah. just, you just can't if it did click as well I just don't think you can look past his quality I mean Pogba I mean he can unlock any defence and he's just yeah his ability on its own I think puts himself into that side but nothing away from Henderson I mean Henderson's he's done he's achieved so much in his career and he's come back from adversity I mean I think even Liverpool fans all wanted him sort of out a few years ago no one ever sort of f- foreseen him going on to do what he's done, winning the things that he's done and getting to the level he's achieved. I mean, he's a brilliant footballer. I mean, he, he used to sort of just be a joke, didn't he? Like a bit of a meme. Yeah, he did. Even when he was picked for England, I mean, everyone was just sort of, it was outrage when John Henderson used to be in the squad, but now you wouldn't even think of even criticising John Henderson. He's such an important player for both club and country. We've seen it as well. Once you become a meme, it's very hard to come back. Yeah. Once you become a laughing stock, and like you said, he was that John Henderson. Yeah, he was. Because it was that. Yeah, he was part of that kind of when Liverpool they signed a few players, didn't they? And there were a lot of flops. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, it was, uh, but it was he was one of the few players that was at Liverpool when they were struggling, and then now has followed it through and been obviously captained and leaded them to this new uh, found success that they've had over the last few years. Uh, so we'll talk about the the obvious positions. Obviously, going to attacking midfield, there's not really anyone that rivals Bruno Fernandez. Is there in that Liverpool team? No. I suppose Firmino, but obviously you'd have Bruno ahead of him. Yeah. Um. Obviously, right wing. There's no debate there. Mo Salah. Yeah. First name on the team sheet, arguably. Well, yeah. definitely, definitely at the moment. Yeah. Um. Yeah. On the left. Is there anything you want to say about Mo Salah? Just is is he the best player in the world? Right now, on current form, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, we we don't we don't have to talk about what Messi and Ronaldo can bring to the table, but you're talking about two players there that, uh, in the twilight of their career, still unbelievably effective and still got so many so much good qualities. But if you're looking at a player who's in the prime of his career, well rounded, I mean, he's just he cannot do anything wrong at the moment, Salah. I mean, no. there is no better player. Well, more well-rounded player at the moment than Mo Salah. I mean, Ronaldo and Messi have both sort of dropped into different roles as they've got older and 
they offer different things at different times. They won't always be in the game, but Salah just seems like he's a constant threat all game. You cannot take your eye off him. I'm risking rustling up a few feathers here, and forgive me if I'm um, a bit, little bit ignorant, but I'm obviously not talking about the Dalgleishes and Ian Rushes, players like that. Is Mo Salah Liverpool's most talented player they've had over the last 20 years? It's definitely the case. I mean, I think on, on TalkSport they were asking Liverpool fans, Kenny Daglish or Mo Salah in their prime, who's the better player? And majority obviously came through with Kenny Daglish. Oh, I can't really say I watched much Kenny Daglish. I mean, no, I don't want to disrespect. Then. No, but you don't really? want to, yeah, you don't want to disrespect someone like that. And but yeah, I mean, well, for me, Mo Salah's the best Liverpool player I've I've seen in my lifetime, one hundred percent. No, I think the only player that comes to mind talent wise is Luis Suarez, and obviously he wasn't he wasn't there long enough to kind no. of surmount the kind of legacy that that Salah's going to go on to achieve in. Um, should we move on? Obviously, Ronaldo up front is yeah. that That's an easy stone. decision to make? I think the left wing there's there's room for debate. Obviously, I think o- overall career and obviously what they've achieved. Sadio Mane is out on top. He's improved recently, but I was not impressed with him at all last season. And actually, at the start of this season, he just couldn't find the back of the net, could he? He no. had a plethora of chances all game and just couldn't score. Um, I think at one point, Salah and Mane were seen as kind of on an even keel and they were a similar level, really. Yeah. Um, obviously, Salah's surpassed uh, Mane on that level. Um, how do you compare Mane? Would you have him... Who are we thinking? It's obviously Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford, yeah, or Mane. Well, I think if you're talking left side, I think sort of I'd like to have Greenwood in my team, but it's sort of he's not a left winger, so we'll have to sort of leave him out on the bench on this one. But um, yeah. Sancho at the moment, I mean, he's got so much, got bags of potential, and he's going to come good at United. But at the moment, you won't be able to put him in your team because he didn't get no. United, he didn't get United starting eleven at the moment. So how can you possibly put him in a combined with Liverpool? Um, yeah, so I think it's in the it's a it's a way up between Mane and Rashford. And personally, I think if we're talking if someone if this team's fully fit and firing, no injuries. I mean, I don't. I just think Rashford goes into my team to be honest over Mane. I mean, not not saying Mane over the past two or three years. I mean, obviously he's been one of the best players in Europe, but I just think. Over, I think now, in in here and now, I don't think Mane's the player he once was. Do you I not just... think when you've got if you've got Ronaldo up front, having that the work rate of Salah, Bruno, and Sadio Mane would just be frightening? Yeah, possibly, mate. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really think about it that way, to be honest. But because um... Rashford, I do you think Rashford and Ronaldo, and I'm not saying they can't play in a team together, but they are similar players, I think. And even before Ronaldo came back, I always used to say that Marcus Rashford, you can see who he modelled his game on. You can see that he's looks at Ronaldo and he's very similar physically as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think, yeah. I, I don't know, me. I, I think I think Mane, to be honest. I really do. I'm happy to agree on Mane at the moment. Yeah. he's. I mean, yeah. what, what he's achieved in the last, last two or three years and the numbers he's put up. I mean, you can't really argue, can you, actually? Yeah, well, that's very noble of you, mate. Um, so that is our full combined Liverpool I saw that, and Manchester. I saw that Jamie Carragher actually left Ronaldo out of the team and put Greenwood as his striker, didn't he? 
Did he? Yeah. Well, I didn't actually see. What was their team? Was there any? Was it different to ours? Was it much different? Well, um, I think Gary Neville left out Bruno Fernandez and put um, for me. So they didn't make a combined one. They did their own. Let me find them. Yeah, I'm sure Gary Neville put Firmino in the number 10 role over Bruno. Surely not. I did see something that was funny. Um, I'm not sure if anyone else saw it. At the weekend after United's lost to Leicester, Gary Neville was asked, wasn't he, about well, about what was going wrong? And he basically said that um, if you're a defender in the Man United team, you don't want to be a defender in the Man United team because of all the attacking players that they have. And there's just no sort of there's nowhere to blur the lines. There's no, there's no player in there that, that sort of bypasses. They just get bypassed. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. what you're trying to say. It's not. There's not enough hardworking, defensive-minded people in that side. And then mm. someone, someone pulled out the bag. His, um, his, his Man United team that he he thought was their best eleven from like three weeks ago, I think. And it literally, <laughs> and it literally had Pogba, Matic, yeah, yeah, Bruno. No, Shocking me! Good old Gary. It's that's the <laughs> life of a pundit nowadays, though, isn't it? And I think we'll probably get it in the future, where everything is 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 documented and it's all online for people to see and people can go back to. Because you are going to contradict yourself. It's just it's the line of this line of work, and you're going to contradict yourself. I'm sure I've done it hundreds of times. Yeah, I think we all have, but it's just a funny one though. When you, yeah, like you say, when you're as high profile as him. Yeah, and and the so-called yeah. voice of Man United fans, really. You're always going to get picked up on stuff like that. So there you have it. There's our combined Liverpool and Manchester United 11s. So in goal, we had Alisson. At the back, we had Van Dijk and Varane. Left-back, Luke Shaw. Right-back, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Did we go a three in midfield? Or are we going, an attack? Are we going a two and a one? Yeah, I think we've gone two and a one, haven't we? Two and a one. All right, so Fabinho and Pogba in a double pivot. Then we've got Bruno in front, Salah on the right, Bruno down the middle, uh, Mane on the left, and Ronaldo up front. Well, I've just found Carragher's team. All right, yeah. Um, so yeah, what were only what were two United teams? players make the grade? One of them is not Ronaldo. Um, I don't know how you can make a combined eleven with any team, including Man United side, and just not have Ronaldo. And it just seems mad to me. Yeah, like, like this. And seeing as though Liverpool haven't got an out-and-out striker either, here's one for you. He's gone for Allison, Trent, Van Dijk, Robertson, and he's paired Van Dijk with Matip. What? Um, Henderson, Fabinho, Salah, Mane, and he's gone Fernandez and Greenwood. What? So he went Henderson, Fabinho, Salah, Mane, Fernandez, Greenwood. That's oh, Jeff, right. that's Carragher's eleven. It just I'm sorry, but putting Greenwood ahead of Ronaldo just stinks of, of Sky trying to get a, a little clickbait title. I know, it's ridiculous. I can't find Neville's team, but Yeah, well we Neville yeah, we won. get the picture. Um yeah. There you go guys. If you want real football knowledge and opinion, you come to divided opinion. Don't, Don't bother Monday with all this, the mainstream. It's not worth it. So obviously last night Chelsea beat the Swedish Team Malmo beat them 4-0, bouncing back from that loss to Juventus. But obviously we did see, kind of cast a dark cloud over the, the evening for Tuchel. We saw Werner's picked up an injury and Lukaku also picked up an injury as well, both going off before half-time. Pulisic is injured as well. And I've seen some comparisons on Twitter between Pulisic and Robin. 
because apparently when Robin was at Chelsea, he also had quite similar bad luck when it came to injuries. Um, just an interesting comparison to make. In terms of Chelsea, what are you what are you thinking? Do you, do you think depth is gonna gonna cost them in the end? Because when before the season started, I looked at Chelsea and thought they rivaled City in terms of depth. But yeah. we've seen that players like Loftus Cheek and Barkley have been playing recently. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they deal with it, really, because obviously, as much as people talk about Werner and his sort of well, it's not capabilities, but maybe incapability in front of goal. Um, he I does think act, he missed it, another Stonewall chance last night. Yeah, I mean, he's not. He's clearly not a a natural born goal scorer. Whether it's a confidence thing or I think it's maybe gone on a bit too long for it to be considered a confidence thing. Um, some of the chances he misses as well, they're not down to confidence. They're down to just. I don't know what it's just ability isn't it really but he does add something to the side he's, he's hard working he creates chances for other people by his running in behind and stretching defences obviously Lukaku's got off to a decent start but then he's slowed down hasn't he over the past month or so um, but obviously he's still, still going to be two big misses for Chelsea and yeah it's strange because you'd think it doesn't really matter because you've got Kai Havertz in there but I think Tuchel's been speaking this week saying he's sort of got to fight his way back into the Chelsea team I think that was before last night's game so he sort of got his way back in without fighting you know what I mean He's he'll, yeah. be, he'll be relied upon now and it's just a strange one Havertz because the first six months of last season it was really quiet um, obviously started to improve near the end of the season scored that goal in the Champions League final obviously never forget that um, but it just sort of seems like he's taken a couple of steps back hasn't he this season You'd have thought you'd have capitalised on that sort of momentum from the final, and it's just not—it's just not not really got going again, has it? Yeah, his Chelsea career has definitely just been defined by moments, really, and yeah. inconsistency. Uh, the thing when I when I, when I saw Chelsea at their best was against Liverpool, uh, and I know they drew the game, but they obviously had a sending off, and it was when they had Mount Havertz in Mount and Havertz in behind Lukaku, and that was when I was most impressed by by all three of those players. Obviously, they've got Mount back now, and he's a he's a constant in that team. Um, I'm interested to know what kind of regard as well that you hold Callum Hudson-Odoi in as well. So, so yeah, he played last night. He got an assist last night, Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think it's likely that he might start at the weekend with Kai Havertz in a false nine role. Um, what do you think of Callum Hudson-Odoi now? Because when he kind of broke out, and I know Sancho's dip now, but Sancho and Hudson Odoi were kind of quite quite similar levels when they broke out. Hudson Odoi actually got his England cap before Jane and Sancho. Yeah, well, I'm interested to know what you think about him. Um, he's obviously a player that's got got really good talent, got loads of potential, but um, I just feel like it's a player that's sort of been been starved of opportunities. Just not even really out of his own sort of fault. It's just the luxury that Chelsea have got, the options that they've got. It's always going to be tough for someone like Hudson Odoi, a young player, to to really get the minutes that he sort of needs to to show what he's worth. And that's why I thought he should have taken that step and gone to Germany. I mean, he had the opportunity. I think Bayern wanted him, then Dortmund. I think he more, was keen to do so, wasn't he? Yeah, and then Dortmund more so this summer. I think he was more keen moving this summer than it was last summer. But I think it's sort of a mistake for him, not even maybe not even getting out on loan, you know, because he's just going to struggle to kickstart his 
his Chelsea career really under Tuchel because he's clearly not Tuchel's sort of main guy, go-to no. guy that he, that he trusts with with um, big responsibility. And um, yeah, it's just it it's, it's a difficult one to when... judge because you know he's got quality. And, I mean, you won't play for England at his age, and he's done it for a few years now. And we can all see when he gets on the ball and he runs at people. He's, he he puts strikes fear into opponents and he can create goals and he can score goals as well. But it's just one of them cases where is he ever going to get that opportunity at Chelsea to play regularly? Probably not. So should he move on? Probably yes. Yeah. It's difficult because when you're, when you're playing for a team like Chelsea and if you look at their, their attacking three, which is obviously where he'd be fitting in, you've obviously got... Lukaku, big money signing. He's going to walk into that team. They've got to play him. Werner was a relative, relatively expensive signing as well, so they were always obviously keen to play him last season. Yep. I know he's less high on the on the list nowadays, or this season, I should say. Obviously, you've got Kai Havertz, another big money signing. And then you've got Mason Mount, who, for for quite, quite um, understandably so, Tuchel loves Mason Mount, just like I think any manager would. Yeah, it's really difficult to see where Hudson Odoi fits into that team on a regular basis. But then again, you can look at it from another angle where Mason Mount's not been as good as he has been previously. Havertz, we've just been talking about his inconsistency. Pulisic has been injured. We didn't even speak about Pulisic. Timo Werner's been Timo Werner. Yeah. Um. There has been an opportunity there for Callum Hudson-Odoi to stake a claim on on one of those winger positions, and he hasn't done so. Um, yeah, it, like you said, it's too difficult to judge, and he's he is still a, still very young, and he's still got an opportunity to to improve his career. And but like you said, I think it's better to pursue his career elsewhere and see if he can fit a different a different team, a different model, and I think he could do so. So yeah, Man City, uh, just to finish up on the English clubs, obviously Man City beating Bruges 5-1. You were impressed by Cole Palmer? Yeah, I mean, I've impressed with him for a while now. I think it's a play that City fans are going to, well, already getting really excited about. Um, As a United fan, it's not great to see another, sort of, maybe a potential another Phil Foden coming through the ranks there. But um, (laughs) yeah, he looks like a really good player. He's... He's a midfielder that sort of he's 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 in a similar mould of Foden, but he's a bit of a different sort of bit taller. He's a bit he sort of runs a bit more. He's a bit more box to box, but he's the the ability he's got as well though. Like I think if you saw his goal against Bruges, I mean he scored a couple of goals now for City this season in the first team, and I think everyone's speaking about the weekend when he played. He came on for the first team, didn't he? About half four, and then headed over to the academy stadium and scored a hat-trick against Leicester's 23s played it's a 49 so I mean yeah it's, it's crazy but yeah he looks a really good player Cole Palmer and I think Guardiola was asked about him after the game and he gave a really good sort of analogy of how he was going to um, deal with him because obviously a lot was made about Phil Foden we spoke about it in the post last week about his development and remember everyone was sort of saying to, for the last two or three years like should play more should play more um, but I think he's just going to handle him the exact same way. I mean, I think he's only 18, Cole Palmer. And Guardiola said, um, to cook a good dish, you've got to spend time in the kitchen, which is so true. I mean, Guardiola's the best at developing players and nurturing yeah. them 
and I mean Cole Palmer for coming through the ranks at City now and playing bit part bits with first team the 23s training every day with these world class footballers I mean he's in the perfect environment to get better and better and I'm sure in two or three years he'll be a regular for Man City yeah and I echo everything you just said there and with a team like City it becomes very clear when a player isn't at that level yeah and you don't just come into a team like City and score goals and without being a certain level of player you yeah. quickly look out of your depth if you're not at that level yeah I think that's the thing with City isn't it it's, I mean you've, there's other people like you see United and stuff they sort of bring a lot more more out of the production line they give a lot more people chances but it's same as United I mean we've seen players come in over the last few years sort of young players and they get a few games play, maybe play a bit part player for a season or two and then they sort of get moved on but City is sort of a team where you, yeah like you say you, not it's many quality over not, quantity, isn't it? Not many players make it at City through the through the academy. I mean, Foden obviously is just generational talent. There's clear clear reason why he's made it. Um, and then you've got uh, Cole Palmer, that is obviously another another version of that. And yeah. he's yeah. And if you you've got to be a, a very very good player to um to make the grade at City. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And yeah, just like you said, it's quality over quantity. And they aren't wasting time on loads of young players. If you're not at the level, you won't get given the opportunities. And even if you are at the level, you're going to get given opportunities at a sensible rate. You're not going to be overworked. And we've seen how damaging it can be when a player plays too much football at the ages of 18, 19 and so on. Yeah, I think City, they're just... On so many levels, they're a team that everyone should aspire to. And I know I'm not saying it, obviously, as a United fan, you're not going to aspire to want to be like City, but in certain aspects, they just get things right. Yeah. So obviously, just before we we round off the episode, and and we'll also talk you through our predictions for the up-and-coming Premier League fixtures, um, obviously, Steve Bruce... I think it was inevitable. We knew it was coming, but he saw the he got the sack, I should say. I'm looking now. We've got the odds in front of us. Well, actually, first and foremost, do you think it was harsh on Steve Bruce the treatment he's had? Because I think he a lot's coming out now. We've seen a lot of players talking. I saw Sam Maximan tweeting. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Uh, just talking a glowing report of what Steve Bruce is as a man. And to be honest, I think he's he's done himself no harm and he obviously managed his thousandth game at the weekend I just think he's yeah like I said I don't think he's done himself any harm and he's he's held himself well do you, yeah. Yeah, do you think it was, was harsh the way he's been treated yeah massively harsh I think I mean every fan every football fan's entitled to their opinion you don't have to like anyone and obviously it's clear that a lot of new majority of Newcastle fans were not on Steve Bruce's side the whole time he was there but I think there's a certain level of sort of uh, on a sort of moral level that you've got. You've just got to remember. That. I mean, there's so much talk at the moment, isn't there? And so much light being shed on sort of mental health and stuff. And everyone seems so sort of quick to um, to jump on that and say that everyone should be treated fairly and stuff. And but then you get someone like Steve Bruce, who's, he's been absolutely battered, hasn't he? I mean, some of yeah. the stuff that he's had to go through death threats and all that sort of stuff 
I think it's one of them ones where it's bordering on disgraceful, really, what what he's had to go through at Newcastle. I'm not, Newcastle, I swear yeah. he's Newcastle born and bred as well. Yeah, Newcastle fan born and bred, and clearly because he he had a stint at managing at Sunderland, and I mean that somehow makes him makes him prone to sort of all levels of inhumane abuse. I mean, no no person should have to put put up with that. He's at the end of the day, he was just there doing his utmost best, trying his hardest, and doing what he was told to do by Mike Ashley and. That's a person and with that, limited that, resources. Yeah, as that's well. uh, that's where they should be aiming all their frustration at. Not the manager. The manager's been employed to do a job, and he supports Newcastle. He's going to try and do it to the best of his ability. I mean, he loves the club, and he wouldn't. He was never. He would never try and sabotage it on on purpose, would he? I mean, he's just doing his best. I mean, I think. Yeah, I think certain Newcastle fans just need to take a step back and just realise what what they've been sort of putting him through for the past two or three years. I mean. And and who the enemy it was because yeah, they, and I know they haven't lost sight that that Mike Ashley wasn't the enemy, um, but I think you you, you see and like I just said, the reaction from players just tells you a lot about a manager. And I know football is a results based business, but these are people at the end of the day. Yeah. And Steve Bruce was a guy going into work and he worked hard in his job with like I said limited resources, and did it. To the bitter end, didn't didn't quit. No, carried on and held his held his head high, and he can hold his head high. I'm looking now at Sky Bet at their their odds for the next man the next Newcastle manager, and I've been seeing this name flying about a few times. And his odds is four to six. His odds, and the next the next one is Eddie Howe with six to one. Um, pa- Paolo Fonseca, Francesca, Francesca, um. He obviously was Roma manager. Yeah. He apparently he's done did all right at, at, in Serie A for Roma. Got yeah. Got to the semi-finals of the Europa League. Was linked to Spurs in the summer. Yeah. And if you know more about him than me, that's all I know really. Um, don't know loads about him, but he's a yeah he's a well-respected manager in in Italy. And um, there's clearly a reason why Tottenham wanted him. He was one of their first choices. Obviously, he didn't go through. Now Newcastle are looking at him so. We, as much as we don't know much about him, there's definitely obviously reason for him being so um, hotly tipped for these jobs because he's obviously a good manager. Well, that's he's all managed Porto, Braga, Shakhtar Donetsk, Shakhtar Donetsk and Roma. Interesting one, really. I did think they would go for someone a bit out of the ordinary. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see Steven Gerrard, your guy. You were ready to put your house on it. I think Steven it's... Steven Gerrard, he's, he's gone down the pecking order a little bit. I think for maybe for Stephen Gerrard, it's a little bit further down the line. Yeah, I can't see him walking out on Rangers mid-season. I mean, I think he's got far too much respect and admiration for that club. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other names we've got on here: Roberto Martinez. Still don't know why that guy's been linked to it. Why? I can't understand what's qualified Roberto Martinez for I'm stars sure. getting a Belgium job or being linked to this, huh? I'm sure, Wayne Rooney's on there somewhere, isn't he? Uh, he's not on the, uh, the. I think we've got a top ten here. It's not on there. Uh, right. Eddie Howe's in second, and then I'm going to butcher this name as well. Lucien Favre. Favre. Lucien Favre. 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 Do you know much about him? I, I don't know. Uh, Dortmund, ex-Dortmund boss. Um, did well at Dortmund. He's the sort of manager that would that developed Sancho into a really good player. Um, created a, a side. I think, I think he bought in Erling Haaland as well. Um, so that side with Hakimi, Sancho, Haaland, 
yeah. that Dortmund side we, we saw a couple of years ago. I think he he was sort of the the manager at the time. Obviously, I don't think they don't think they won anything at Dortmund. I mean, it's hard to win stuff when you got yeah, Bayern Munich in tough. your league. But um, it ended a bit sourly. I think it, the results started to go against him, and then Marco Rosa took over. But um, no, uh, he's good. Yeah. he's he's a good manager. Just before we move on to uh, our predictions for this weekend's games, are you? Is Steven Gerrard? I know you were predicting that he was going to be the manager. Yeah. If you were to pick an ideal candidate for for Newcastle, who would it be at this at this current stage? Um, and it doesn't obviously it has to be within reason. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because he, manager a manager getting to Newcastle wants to establish whether he's the short term fix or the long term fix. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of talk about people that people are suggesting like sort of they should get Roy Hodgson in to a. Uh, stable the ship until the end of the season I'm not I can't see that happening personally I don't think Roy Hodgson's really at his age he doesn't need that no um, no the stress of Newcastle fans yeah um, probably finish him off that yeah yeah it's maybe I think Francesca probably looks like it's going to be done soon looks more and more likely I don't know whether they're thinking more long term with him maybe they, they want to keep someone in for a couple of years year or two steady the ship Start improving the squad with signings, and then maybe give it to someone who's a bit more high, more, bit more high profile. Because it's going to be difficult for someone like Antonio Conte. Someone they're not going to want to walk into a Newcastle team now that's near the rock bottom of the Premier League, and the yeah. squad, the squad they've got is not amazing. I mean, they'll want to walk in in two or three years when the money's starting to be spent, and they're looking a bit more hopeful. But yeah. but it's, it's tough on you. You need you. You really think. They need someone with man Premier League experience because as good as all this money is and this new takeover and it's all happy days for Newcastle fans, at the end of the day, they're in the midst of a, a proper relegation dogfight. I mean, they obviously they can afford to go down because they've got the sort of owners that have got the money that will just spend ridiculous amounts of money on wages and stuff and get them straight back up to the Premier League. But it's a step back that they don't need or want to take at this moment in time. It just backs up that process by another four or five years getting relegated so they yeah, need someone would. yeah they need someone to come in steady the ship and steer them away from as long as they stay up this season that's all they've got to do they've just got to get to the summer window and have a clean slate and be still in the Premier League they cannot afford to go down yeah no absolutely absolutely it's just tough isn't it yeah because who do you bring in and but I don't really think like you said as long as they stay in the league and it's a manager that keeps them in the league. I don't think it's that important who it is. No. Because I Sam don't Allardyce. think they'll be... They're not... Well, could work. Like, is anyone he... that will keep them in the league. Is Paolo... I'm, I'm going to say his name wrong again, but is Paolo Fonseca going to be able to keep them in the league? <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. Um, uh, yeah, it's you, you see, like, with City, they started off with Mark Hughes, didn't they? Yeah. And he didn't do brilliantly. But it was just you got to have someone there just to start it all, start the ball rolling a bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely, totally agree. It's going to be interesting to see who they go for and what sort of style and what sort of plan they put in place because the, these owners they might have an embarrassment of riches. Fair enough. I mean, it's good they can go out and sign anyone they want, pay anyone what they want. But at the end of the day, you need football people in a football club. I think Manchester United are a bit of a prime example of that. You need people with a footballing brain to make a football club run correctly I think like Leicester, yeah. City, Leicester City are probably the best example of that 
the way they sign players, their, their scouting system, um, the way they sort of go about their business in terms of yeah, recruiting players, recru- recruiting people within the club for certain jobs. Newcastle, it's all right having these people, but they're not football people. These are just people with a ton load of money that can pump into the club. They need to start from start from scratch, get people in the necessary positions that that know what they're doing, football people with football brains, and then that's how they'll start to build. I think that's yeah. what they, that's what's at City anyway. I mean, they need a, you need a building block. You can't just throw money at stuff and expect it to work. No, hundred percent. Just lastly, and I was I've been thinking as well. Obviously, with some of the managers that they've been linked to, you've got the likes of Graham Potter and play and managers like that. Yeah. It'd be interesting to me whether morals and well, whether morals come into it with the, these managers, and whether some managers will reject the opportunity to go to to, uh, to Newcastle, because it is very much dancing with the devil. And we didn't really talk about it on the last podcast, and we wanted to stay away from it. But I think it's important now we're in this journalism kind of sphere, so to speak, that we do shine some kind of a light on it because it's it is really important that if these the Saudi consortium are allowed into the Premier League, which it looks like they will be, and I know the clubs have have uh, complained, but it looks all but done. Yeah, there does need to be. And Gary Neville was talking about it, how, and yeah, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were debating around the Newcastle coming into the Premier League and the controversy around it and whether they should be allowed in. Yeah, and it is an interesting debate because Neville was basically coming from the standpoint that we're better off, kind of the keep your your enemies closer basically, and we're better off keeping them close so then we can help influence change in these countries and we can use sport as a as a tool to to influence change and yeah but Kara was coming from the the side point of if 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 these people aren't allowed in and there's some of the things they've been accused of with the the journalists getting murdered people getting tortured their views on lgbtq communities the 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 women's rights things like that if if you're allowed to come in with with all that that tarnished history, who who are we going to say no to? Yeah, and it is true. Yeah, they're letting because if these people we we are, it's it's a difficult one. And I I thought it was important that we did shine some kind of a light on it, and that we didn't because we were talking when we spoke last. I think it was last week or the episode before. It was very much a a, a positive chat, and because there are a lot of positives about it. And when you look at the football side of things, which is what we try to do on this podcast, we try and focus on purely on the football. And from that standpoint, it's a joyous, it's a joyous thing. And for Newcastle, it's uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But there certainly needs to be steps in the right direction, or plans made, or signs from these these new owners coming in that they are gonna they are gonna change and change for the good and yeah I thought it was important that we we made reference to that and I think it will be interesting if these managers do want to dance with the devil because you are at the end of the day it doesn't matter I just think integrity is an important thing and it sometimes gets lost um but it'd be interesting to see um should we move on to our predictions yeah for this weekend so first game of the weekend 
We've got Friday night, got Arsenal, Aston Villa. Should be a good game at the Emirates. What are you thinking? I'm going to go for a one all draw. I'm going to go 2 2. Then move on to Chelsea versus Norwich. I'm going to say 4 0 to Chelsea. I've brought Havertz in this week on fantasy, and I'm I'm considering triple captaining Havertz. Me, just think with Lukaku out, Werner out, Havertz up front against Norwich. Yeah, it could be a shout. So yeah, I'm going to go four nil to Chelsea. I'm going to go three one to Chelsea. Crystal Palace Newcastle three o'clock on the Saturday. I'm going to say. Crystal Palace are going to win this one 2-0. Nice and easy against Newcastle. I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw again. Everton-Watford. Another one of the 3 o'clock kickoffs. I'm going to say here, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 3-1 Everton. I'm going to go for 1-0 to Watford. And move on to Leeds versus Wolves. Again, another one of the 3 o'clock kickoffs on the Saturday... It's a tough one to call that, to be honest. Wolves started to look up a bit, haven't they, recently, their form. They've obviously got that very good win against Aston Villa at the weekend, coming back from behind. Leeds haven't been too impressive this season. No. Leeds-Wolves, is it at Leeds? It's at Leeds, yeah. Right. I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw in this one. I'm going to go 2-1 Leeds. No, 2-1 Wolves, I mean. Next up, who we got? Southampton versus Burnley at Southampton. I'm going to go 1 0 Burnley. I'm going to go 0 0. I can see a Chris Wood winner. Southampton have been solid defensively. Oh, yeah, sorry, we should have said, obviously, last week, basically, we were in a rush at the end of of recording, so we didn't record our our predictions. So we're basically going to avoid last week. Yeah. Brighton versus Manchester City, 5 30 on the Saturday. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go... I think Brighton could do... Definitely going to be a, a provide a test for City. But it's Manchester City, isn't it? Um, I've gone for 3-1 to City. 3-1 City. I'm going to go 2-0 to City. And then on to the Sunday fixtures. 2 o'clock. Brentford versus Leicester. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go 3-0 Leicester. I'm going to go for... 2-1 to Brentford. <laughs> you love going against Leicester, you? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> West Ham United versus Tottenham. Again, another 2 o'clock kickoff on the Sunday. I'm going to go for 2-1 to West Ham. Yeah, this has got a West Ham win written all over it, hasn't it? I'm yeah. going to copy you, sorry. 2-1 West Ham. I just can't see West Ham scoring more. I think Spurs will score. And then last but not least, the big game of the weekend, Manchester United versus Liverpool, 4.30 on a Sunday. What are you thinking? Do you want me to go first? You go first, please. Is it going to be a game where they cancel each other out? I think there's definitely going to be goals in it. I hope so anyway. Well, I think there will be because neither team are too strong defensively at the minute. It's, it's both teams are, have got all their their attributes really are in attack. 
I'm going to go, just because you went for Brentford, I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. <laughs> I've gone for 3-2 to Man United. 3-2, I like high score. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game of both defensives. defences. Sorry, um, Not at the best. Yeah, I can see that happening. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable episode, Westy. Anything yeah. more you want to add? Nah. Any more uh, pearls of wisdom you want to add? No, I'm, I'm pearled out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed this week's episode. Um, if if you guys use Amazon Music, which actually, thinking about it, if you're listening to this right now, you probably <laughs> are. Um, but we are available on Amazon Music if you want a different uh, platform to use. Um Obviously, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. On make sure to follow us on your respective platforms. Uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Check us out at Divided Opinion on Instagram if you want to see more daily content. We've really been enjoying what we're doing on the account recently. Um, yeah, thanks for joining me, Westy. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Nice one. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. <laughs>